Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Star Wars Explained. Today, I am very excited to be joined by the author of the latest Star Wars novel to come out, Shadow of the Sith. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, you can watch my review, which came out a couple weeks ago. Um, we are going to be potentially talking light spoilers in the book. We're, we're not going to you know, ruin everything, but if, if you haven't read it yet, this is your warning. But please welcome Adam Christopher to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, we, we got to meet very briefly at Star Wars Celebration, uh, which was exciting for me because I had just finished reading Shadow of the Sith before coming out. So I was like, oh, it, it's him. It's Adam Christopher. Oh, that was a good show. Yeah, um, that was my first celebration. Um, man, it was epic. Yeah. Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I mean, like, I'm going to San Diego Comic Con. Uh, in the next month, it's like we get to do it all over again. That's brilliant. Yeah. What What was your favorite thing that you saw or got to do? I think. I mean, cosplay always amazes me. Um, I know. You know, Star Wars has such amazing cosplay, but the imagination that people come up with. You know, there was a um, you know nightmare before Jabba's palace um, cosplay, and there's kind of mashups. There was a Top Gun one, which is Top Tie. <laughs> it's just like how do people think of those things it's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super fun yeah well we, we've already kind of done a little bit of ice breaking but I, I always like to start my interviews uh with this question question to just kind of get a sense of uh, your star wars fandom a little bit so my favorite star wars character is big stark lighter and i like to know uh what what, what is your favorite kind of minor or background character in star wars someone that you think potentially you might be the biggest fan of? Uh, I think it really has to be uh, Telly Lintra from The Last Jedi. Another you know, pilot, yes, young, I like it. Yeah, she's like a young ace A-wing pilot. Um, she leads the attack runs at the beginning of the movie. Unfortunately, she gets blown up by Kylo Ren when he attacks the hangar, which is like, it's such a bummer because you know, in a franchise that often needs more good female characters, they kind of blow her up. Um, which is why I actually, I wrote a, um, like a backup story in Star Wars Adventures, mm -hmm. which was the all ages comic from IDW. And I chose Tally because I thought she's got a story to tell, you know, she's young, but she's like such a leader and such a strong character. Um, yeah, it turns out though, when I said that online, like there's a legion of, of fans of hers, uh, which was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that's always the thing is uh, you can say my favorite character is this person that I don't think anyone's ever heard of. And a dozen people will be like, yeah, they're the best. So yeah, Tally's definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt the same way. I remember in the buildup to The Last Jedi, I was like, yes, an A-wing and a, a great looking A-wing pilot. Like this yeah. is going to be awesome. And then they just pulled the rug right out and killed everyone. <laughs> yeah. Mm, oh well. But, but sure. hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see some more tally stories in the future. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you got to write Shadow of the Sith, which was a very thick book. I would say an important book. Uh, it, it's also a book that I felt like was hearkening back to the Star Wars Legends days, where we got novels that told very big stories that included the the main cast of characters from the original trilogy um 
what was it like to to tackle that story or a story well, like that i should say yeah it's like you're quite right um it's almost like i couldn't believe it when they said well why don't we do this book which is this which is luke and lando chasing ochi of bestoon chasing ray and her parents being you know the story that lando tells to ray when they meet in the rise of skywalker i was like and i remember when i first saw the rise of skywalker in the cinema it's like that really struck me when he just mentions it oh yeah me and luke were chasing Ochi and looking for a wayfinder and we never found it. And then it's like, I get to tell that story, which is, you know, amazing. I'm a, you know, as a Star Wars fan, that's just unbelievable. But also I was aware that, yeah, this is a, a largely unexplored area in this, you know, the Star Wars saga where the book is set 19, 20 something years after Return of the Jedi and then another 19 years, whatever it is, before The Force Awakens. So it's like right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like, there's been a few comics, there's a couple of books, but that's really kind of this unexplored territory. So I knew that I had the potential to write a story which really like uh, did something, you know, with the characters and with the story. So I kind of treated it like, this is episode 6.5. You know, if Return of the Jedi is 6 and Force Awakens is 7, this is episode 6.5. So as a fan and a reader of Star Wars books, what would I want in that story if if I read it or saw it? So I kind of had this epic, like you said, it was a big book, um, <laughs> this kind of epic cinematic approach. It's like, let's make this amazing Star Wars adventure which can do something with characters that don't appear that often. You know, Luke Skywalker in a in a main canon novel. Uh, yeah, there's not many of them. Likewise with Lando. So yeah, I was like, okay, let's go for it. Let's go big. Yeah, you you've touched on so many things I I want to ask about, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that ability to to bring in the big characters and yeah do kind of an episode 6.5 um i i've really enjoyed a lot of the star wars books up to this point but it, it did feel like they were kind of waiting for the sequel trilogy before they really explored um the the major characters and this one felt like you know we we got to tell a planet hopping adventure that was going across the galaxy wasn't focused on just one or two planets uh and it's just that that took me back to those days of reading Heir to the Empire for the first time in the right. l- late 90s for me. Um, so it was it really pulling on my heartstrings in that way. Uh, yeah. So you already mentioned, yeah, you got to write Luke Skywalker, Lando Calrissian. Uh, you had a young Ray and you had a young Ben Solo. Like the, those first couple chapters are just like, oh my gosh, they're really doing all this. Yeah. Uh, which character was the most daunting to approach? It was actually Luke Skywalker, because Luke is in a really interesting place at this point. You know, he's probably the most powerful person in the galaxy, really. Um, But he's also, he's aware of that in himself. And with that awareness also comes the knowledge of what the Force can do and what can happen if you kind of stray from the path of the light. Because, you know, he's got the ultimate personal experience of of what happens so 
everything that he was doing in the book, it really, as I was writing it, it I, I quickly became aware of he was actually much more powerful than I than I thought he was. But also he has this kind of, I know it's from a different franchise, but like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. He he knows his own power. So everything that he does in the book, he's making a decision, which is, you know, what he what he could do and what he should do. Which is interesting. And especially, you know, his progression through even the original trilogy is really interesting because in A New Hope, he's, you know, the farm boy from Tatooine. In Empire Strikes Back, he's the competent rebel officer and pilot who's learning to become a, a Jedi. Um, you know, because he believes, at least at that point, that he's got this family tradition of being, you know, I'm going to be a Jedi like my father kind of thing <laughs> before he finds out who his father is. Um, and then Return of the Jedi, he's different again. He's like, he's the, the Jedi master. So even in those three films, he's like three different kind of strong characters. Then we see him in the end of The Mandalorian season two, when he rescues Grogu, and also Book of Boba Fett, where he's training Grogu, starting to train it. And there again is two other sides. You've got in Mandalorian, the kind of ultimate Jedi warrior, um, where he takes out all the, the droids. And then in Book of Boba Fett, he's the, the calm, serene Jedi master. So that kind of balance between what he wants to, to be as a Jedi master and the, the self-control that that requires, but at the same time, he's the farm boy from Tatooine. Like he... Unlike Jedi of the past, you know, he wasn't a, a youngling in a Padawan and, and kind of grew up in the Jedi Order. He was a, a kid from, from the desert. Um, so Shadow of the Sith, he's probably about 40 years old. Uh, things, you know, he's been through all the original saga and he's got his temple running and he's trying to recreate the Jedi Order. So he was kind of difficult because it's like, well, he's kind of very powerful, but he can't use his powers because he too much because he knows what can happen if he pushes it too far and it's almost like there's always another solution to something that he's thinking of like he's in life or death situations but that doesn't mean he's just going to race him with his lightsaber and you know cut everything to pieces he judges what needs to be done and what he what he should do as a jedi because he's representing like a you know this kind of higher order um which also, like, he's a self-trained, pretty much. So he's he's recreating this from scratch, which he's also aware of. You know, we saw him build a temple in uh, Book of Boba Fett, and he's kind of building up his younglings and, and the new the new generation. So yeah, he was kind of interesting um, and difficult, but like, really, I mean, Skywalker. I mean, come on, he's the main character of Star Wars. It's, <laughs> it's like, how could I not love uh, being able to write someone like that? I love the way that you put it with, with the Spider-Man quote and he's struggling with uh, what he could do and should do. And he has all of this other stuff on his mind that most other people in the galaxy don't have to think about, which I was why I really, really liked pairing him up with Lando because at least in my interpretation of the story, Luke has the bigger picture to worry about. He hears whispers of the Sith returning and he's like, well, I got to shut that down. And Lando's the one that's really, really focused on 
there's this family that we need help. And he kept kind of like grounding Luke and that like, yeah, that stuff's important, but also the family and the people right in front of us. Um, can you talk about Luke and Lando together and what you wanted their relationship to be like? Cause that's not a pair up we get very often. Right. And again, it goes back to when I saw the rise of Skywalker and Lando talks about it. And my initial reaction was, what do you mean Luke and Lando went on a disadventure? It's like, that is not a pairing I expected. Um, they have a more of a history in the comics and things, but certainly in the original trilogy, do they even exchange a word? I don't know. They kind of shake hands at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. So they were definitely, I was. I knew going in, it was going to be like an odd couple, especially because, as I mentioned, Luke is now gone off on his path, which is the Jedi Order, the Temple, um, learning about Sith and Jedi, because of course, also during this period, he's searching for Sith relics and, and Jedi relics and the kind of the history of both sides. Uh, Lando, on the other hand, is well, in a very different place because we, you know, we know him as the gambler and the kind of playboy and, you know, businessman, entrepreneur, that kind of thing. But, you know, he had a tragedy where his daughter is kidnapped, um, which happens about six years before um, Shadow of the Sith. So it's a personal tragedy that he turns into this, this mission, this quest, because obviously he wants to get his daughter back. Um, the galaxy is a big place. And it's, it's it turns his life upside down, but it, it kind of gives him something to focus on. Um, unfortunately, by the time we get to Shadow of the Sith, you know, it's been six years, he hasn't found her. And it's like, well, how many leads can you chase? How much help can you ask for? So he he's drifting back into his old ways, not because he's forgotten her or anything, but because it's easy. And it's like, you can just go on or he goes on autopilot you know when we first meet him he's he's at a gambling table in a cantina um because it's like this is just easy for him he's in he is in control of that situation even when everything else in his life is kind of is out of his control so it's a very easy place to be so this kind of discovery of of ochi and these whispers of the Sith that he discovers, you know, he's the one that, that overhears all that. And he goes to Luke because this, like, obviously Luke is the only person he knows who can, uh, you know, take care of that kind of situation, but also it reinvigorates his personal quest to, to find his daughter. So, although it's like, well, we've got to help this family because there's, you know, the mother and the father and this young girl who he obviously kind of, sees his own daughter in that situation he's like this is the thing that and he's aware of this this is the thing that is going to get him out of his rut he's going to help this family he's going to rescue the girl we're going to um, fight the sith and he's going to be back at it out in the galaxy find his daughter so through through tragedy comes kind of personal i don't know growth is the wrong word to describe it but it was interesting because Lando, you know, he's one of the main characters, but I could actually, I could develop his character. I could do something with him that we haven't seen on screen, which is unusual for like a main, a main character. You know, you have to, normally you take them and you kind of do things and you put them back where you found them. But because this book is <laughs> right in the middle of that wilderness, um, we could do something. So yeah, and then him and Lando, him and Luke, 
they're they're I mean, they're not chalk and cheese, but they're definitely they're not best friends, right? Like they're kind of like work friends, you know. And then you're at the office and you're kind of all friendly, and then suddenly you go to something like a social event, and then you find yourself you're on your own with them, and you realize you don't quite know who they are really. You don't know them like like a, a friend friend. So there's a little bit of kind of friction and a little bit of working out like, you know, because Luke is like, well, what are you doing here? This is dangerous. And then like, oh, but I've got this thing for you. And it's like just the little stuff. Um, but then obviously they've known each other for, what, 20 years at this point. So there's still a familiarity and a kind of camaraderie, even if they're not buddy buddies. Um, yeah, I, I love that. It means, yeah, it means they're quite different. When they go on this thing together, it's not just two people. It's like two different aspects on the same mission, but like they both see things differently. Mm -hmm. And and I loved the friction. I thought it played very well of yet. Luke is a Jedi master. He's more stoic and, you know, minimalist and Lando is obviously very flashy and everything is over the top (laughs) with his, his ship and his capes and everything. I I thought that the two of them interacting was great. Uh, You also just kind of verbally twisted the knife a little bit because this, story is uh, a bit of a tragedy and there's like a lot of potential for example for Lando Um, and uh, this is a story where you know we we know kind of how it ends when it comes to this family with uh, Dathan and Miramir and Rey so how was that what was the biggest challenge in writing a story where you knew that it had an ending and were there any advantages to writing a story that has that kind of set ending. Yeah. Um, Ray's parents don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that sounds obvious, but like they don't know what's going to happen, but the reader does because it's established. So I really had to forget about the ending and focus on what the family were doing to to save Ray because they know that Ochi is after Ray. Like Ray is what the Emperor wants. They know that, and Dathan and Miramir are really just trying their best to save their daughter. So they're like they've got plans and and ways of getting away from Ochi and the kind of the crew that's after them. For the and for the ending, I'd left it. That was like the last thing that I wrote because. I knew what I had to do, but I almost like disconnected it because it was like, well, this is going to be a really sad ending. This is like, you know, it's really, it's, it's yeah, it's like it's a bad ending for them. Um, and I actually, I wrote the final, the final scene with them, which is like, it's that five seconds you see in the Rise of Skywalker, that flashback. I mean, I must have written about six different versions. I had kind of Uchi's point of view. I had Dathan's point of view. I had Miramir's point of view. I kind of had them all together. Just trying to see, like, what would be the most impactful and meaningful, like, meaningful way to do it because, you know, this is the end of the road for them. And a tragedy within the story because, you know, they, they know that one mistake they make and it's all over. And... They have some successes and some victories, and then suddenly it goes wrong. And it's almost like that ending, like Ochi catches up with them. Spoiler, it happens. Um, but like it's it's just it's sudden, it's like that's it. That's the end of the road. They've got this great plan, and then that's it. Which I thought was like <clears throat> probably the best way to do it, because like as the 
as the characters in the story don't know what's going to happen, the reader knows what's going to happen. But like, how can I how can I surprise the reader? How can I do something? They know what's coming, but they're not expecting it. Was the, the way I kind of looked at it. Um, but yeah, they were just this nice, uh, this nice couple, you know, looking after Ray, and yeah, they came to a sticky end, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it was. It was. Come on. Yeah, it's not your fault. You, you had to. <laughs> well, it was. I, I thought you did a, a good job of yeah using that dramatic irony to occasionally remind the reader and be like, oh, things could have been so much different. Um, I'm going to ask a question that again. I'll just remind people this is a, a little spoilery, um, just in case. But you know, Luke and Lando never really catch up to Dathan and Miramir. Uh, was there ever a version in your head where they did, or what was the um, thought process behind making that choice? Yeah, I mean, if we go a little bit spoilery, um, I like Lando was a safer option. He has more interaction with them than Luke does. I think if I don't, I don't think I really ever ever considered Luke having such a, a direct contact because it would just kind of explode continuity. Um, although, like, you know, there's hints. Um, there's dialogue in The Last Jedi where he's like, when they when Ray and Luke meet and Ray's like, so, you know, so I can't remember the exact line, it's like, who are you, Ray from nowhere or something? Like, he seems to know her name before she says it. But, like, that's ambiguous because he's, he's you know, he can use the Force and... There's conversations we didn't see, but there's little bits and pieces where I hinted at that maybe they, you know, he he has some idea of what's going on. Um, but well, yeah. I'll say that I, I like that kind of Luke is under the wrong impression the whole time of why the Sith are after this family, right? And I it, it yeah. felt like there were enough little pieces that when Ray shows up and she does say I'm from Jakku, that he can be like, ah, well, just start to. Stuff figure it out a little bit and then of course once he's one with the force he probably is all-knowing <laughs> to some sense but yeah yeah um because you know luke is solving a mystery himself in the book um there's ochi a bestoon there's the sith and there's his family and like, he's trying to put it all together because you know he's having these visions of exegol uh which he doesn't know where, where it's coming from and you know lando he, he's making his own discoveries at the same time that lando comes to him so luke yeah it was kind of like luke doesn't know what's going on um that's what he's, he's they're trying to work out mm. yeah it's one of those fun kind of noir things where there's two mysteries that always wind up being the same mystery right yeah <laughs> uh so as an avid star wars book reader i try to read everything that comes out i found shadow of the sith to be uh very rewarding as a reader there were a lot of connections to uh not just other books but comics and all, all kinds of things um was there a connection that you were especially proud of or excited to make? There's a tiny one, which is meaningless. This is the great thing about... I think those are the best ones. <laughs> well, yeah. So it's like, if you if you recognize it, that's amazing. And you get more out of it. If you don't, it doesn't matter. You can, you can still enjoy the story. This is the whole point, I think. I don't try and just cram stuff in because I'm a fan and I want to mention everything. But there's, there's a connection to the 1978... Los Angeles Times comic strip, newspaper comic strip, um, in the cantina where they order drinks, they order red dwarves. Um, 
in the bar tent it reminds them to sip them slow you'll live longer that's out of the the la times because i was i was reading it i was like that's really cool and i, was, I knew i was going to have a kind of cantina not really cantina it's a you know, drinking establishment it's a bit more high class than a <laughs> um but yeah i kind of like it was very organic you know there's there's dark legends by george mann is a big sort of plays a big part there's obviously the aftermath trilogy because kaiser yeah. is from the interludes and in the, in the last two aftermath books um, but it was never like, I'm going to read this book and, and put this thing in because it's really obscure. And if people get it, then they'll get bonus points. Like, I don't, you know, I've written other tie-ins as well, you know, Stranger Things and, and things. And I've never, I've never just put stuff in for the sake of it because as a reader, a fan, I love seeing those things and I kind of geek out when I, I recognize something, but also it's important that it works, you know, on its own. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, the the red dwarf thing is something that went over my head. I, I when I read a book, I make a bunch of notes, and I know that I wrote down probably like fifteen drink names. You named so many drinks, and so I haven't had the chance yeah. to go back and uh, look up all that stuff yet. So I, I know I wrote red dwarf down, but I didn't know where it was from off the top of my head. So thanks for helping me there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, I absolutely want to talk about Kaiza. And that that was something that felt rewarding as just, oh, we're finally following up on the Acolytes of the Beyond and her story. So how did that come about? Was that something that you wanted to do or did that come from Lucasfilm of like, hey, let's tie this up? Or uh, I'm just curious about the process. I mean, I definitely felt that the Acolytes of the Beyond really suited this time period. I mean, Aftermath is obviously set after Return of the Jedi. But the fact that Luke and Law Santeca are, are searching for artifacts and relics of the Sith and the Jedi, the acolytes of the beyond, that's exactly what they were trying to do. So they were a group of, I mean, they're described as kind of kids who thought they weren't force sensitive, but they thought they could get the dark side powers by finding relics and artifacts. So like lightsabers and uh, book, well, anything really, you know, Sith related. But of course, they were just like, I mean, they were thieves. It's like they were, they were a cult and they were dangerous, you know, murderers, thieves, criminals. Um, but they seemed really cool. And it's like, it really f- kind of mirrored what Luke and, and Law Santeca are doing. Um, I don't know, it may have come from Lucasfilm. You know, they kind of, for the brief, the brief was really, it was just tell that story of Luke and Lando chasing Ochi chasing Ray's parents like that's it and then but of course in discussions and things you're like well maybe we could do this maybe we could do that so it probably came out of that I think um because I know I did have another another group in the book originally which I I changed um because they were going to be used somewhere else but yeah the acolytes are just really cool and Kaiser I think is a really good character the interludes and the aftermath books are really cool because they're like they go back to that thing of the character that's only on screen for five seconds and they've got a, and then the, the action figure comes out and they've got a whole thing. So, in <laughs> yeah. is, you know, the Empire, in Empire Strikes Back, the, the bounty hunters, you know, as a kind of eight year old, I was fascinated by that because you get Bosk and Forlom and Zucus and IG 88, they're on screen for 10 seconds and then there's an action figure. 
in a toy and things. So when I was their age, it's like, these are the characters I can play with the most because I can create their whole world because we know nothing about them. So their whole story is in my head and I can use the toys and play with it. So that was a kind of fascination for me. And of course, Star Wars is great for that because there are so many characters who are in it for a split second. But they've got a whole thing. It's like a design and a costume and, you know. So Kaiser was one of those. It's like, she's in... We kind of see her origin a little bit in interludes in Aftermath. Um, but that's it. It's just like, well, what's she doing now? <laughs> it's like 20 years later. Um, yeah. We're, yeah, we're definitely getting kind of an Aftermath renaissance with Cobb Vanth and Kaiza now yeah. and all the Acolytes. And yeah. I think that choosing the Acolytes is such a great idea because, you know, we, we see that Kaiza is affected by the Sith, but not the one we're expecting. Uh, and Ochi as well is, you know, affected by the Sith, um, but is not Sith himself. So I, I thought that that was a really smart way to include the Sith, the, the shadow of the Sith, <laughs> uh, without being too direct with it. And I, I really loved that aspect of the villains. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, this is the shadow of the Sith. It's the, 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 the echoing power that they've left behind. Um, Luke's Luke sense is one aspect of it. Kaiser is another aspect of it. Ochi is another aspect of it. And then we've got you know the the, the Sith Eternal and, and Exegol. Um, very well, and also at this point, very much active and building building the great comeback, kind of in the background, uh, hidden away. So yeah, that's yeah. Shadow of the Sith is the title when it came to me. I was like, yeah, this is like. It's it's their echoing power. Um, yeah. It's like really powerful. It's like the dark side, you know. It's, mm -hmm. it's powerful stuff. And, and there's another the one thing that uh, not the one thing, but I, I remember this one moment vividly of reading the book and uh, another Sith connection. You bring in Darth Noctis's lightsaber, and I just remember I was kind of reading about the scimitar lightsaber for a second. It just dawned on me. I'm like, oh my god, that's from the Dark Legends book from George Mann's uh, yeah. stories that are, you know, kind of, they're in-universe legends until they're not. And I, I loved that you you brought something in that wasn't strictly canon, and now you're, you're playing with those in-universe legends and, you know, what's real, what's not. That was so much fun. So uh, what was the driving force behind that? I mean, I love Dark Legends and also <laughs> Myths and Fables. Uh, I think George Mann is such a good author. Um, He's, he's really cool. And the idea that those books, are, yeah, they're not canon, but like, what if they are, they're fairy, they're fairy tales within the Star Wars universe. Fairy so, tales within a fairy tale. <laughs> right. And like, whatever basis of fact there may have been, these are the kind of legends that have, that have passed down and they're now told, you know, around the campfire kind of thing. So, yeah, Darth Noctis. Because uh, there's the image, like the, like, Dark Legends and Myths and Fables, they're illustrated. So each story has this amazing sort of painting. And the one for that story, forget the title, but it's Darth Noctis and Darth Sanguis. Like this evil Sith figure with the scimitar lightsaber. And I was like, that is so cool. But like also, I was aware when I was doing the outline, I'm just going to put stuff in and like they're going to tell me to just take it out. It's like, no, 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 no. It got left in. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Let's go for it. So I really, I kind of made it the, the kind of feature. 
Um, and it's, yeah, like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to imagine, like, the, you know, the Hasbro, they do the Elite, whatever it's called, lightsabers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to imagine, like, the curved one, like a scimitar blade, how they do it. That would be amazing. Flying <laughs> physics, or well, they all defy physics. But, yeah. Um, and it's just really cool. It's like, it's, again, it's another connection. If you know Dark Legends, awesome. If you don't, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter because we cover it. Um, and yeah, I love the idea of taking stuff which is not canon and making it canon um, because it's like, it's the power. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can. You can, yeah. It, that, that's why I call stories like that rewarding is that, yeah, you don't have to have read uh, Dark Legends or the Aftermath trilogy to appreciate this story um but man is it fun to see that stuff come back it's like at the beginning or near the book at the beginning of the book there's like the scene where there's this the sith eternal chanting the names of all the the Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i was like honestly the the original draft is maybe a page i was just like okay (laughs) who we got we've got riven we've got noctis we've got shah um tyrannus like i just like it going like go through this is where I did go through like a like a Wikipedia listing like okay who's the most obscure Darth something I can I can find but I kind of restrained myself in the end and like cut it down because it was a little bit ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun that's the fun thing like I'm allowed I think every Star Wars author is allowed to have a bit of fun sometimes and just kind of like go to town um, but that's a, that's one of my favorite scenes actually. Yeah. Oh, it, it was great. Like that so many times I would just kind of like perk up while reading it of uh, they're, oh, they're talking about or the, the Sith of ancient times and like what names are in here. And yeah, I think, did you put Sanguis in there? Yeah. yeah. I, I think you dropped Sanguis there. So then that was a fun connection. Yeah, that, yeah, like it's yeah. a hint kind of to what's coming uh, without being overt about it. So yeah, and, and I, I think Shadow of the Sith did a really great job of balancing all of those kind of like fun little teases, little Easter eggs to find, but also, you know, it's a, a, a pulpy adventure, a tragedy. Uh, it's got something to say like all Star Wars stories do. I, I thought you just nailed that Star Warsy balance to make a really, really fun book. Oh, thank you, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Star Wars is like, we love it because it's a Western, it's a samurai movie, it's a war movie, it's a swashbuckling adventure, um, it's the car chase movie, it's the heist movie, it's everything. Uh, you know, it's fantasy, it's wizards, you know, space wizards with laser swords. Um, it's everything there. And I tried to really, like I said, this is if this is episode 6.5, you know, what, 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 do people, what would people want out of episode 6.5? So... Um, Thank you so much for your <laughs> very kind. Sure. Uh, that, that was going to be my closing, but right before uh, we started this interview, I, I saw that you tweeted that your original manuscript was 60% longer. Uh, so d- does that mean that, uh, I don't know, somewhere down the line you could do like an episode 6.75? Um, <laughs> so it actually, yeah, the manuscript I handed in was like 150,000 words. And I think the final is like 160,000 words. I added, added more. Um, oh, I mean, there's loads of stories to tell. I'm not worried about that. But yeah, it was like, and I apologize. Like I said to do I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry. This is a long book. This is like, it's it's long. So to my editor, Elizabeth, I was like, 
you might, you're going to have to brace yourself. I kind of gave a full warning <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Like, it's going fine. It's quite long. But she was like, okay, whatever, whatever length there has to be. Um, yeah, and like it turns out to be quite a big book. That, the, no complaints for me. Keep the word count for the next one. I mean, go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving me part of your evening. Uh, where can people follow you online? And also, uh, what non-Star Wars books uh, have you written that you would recommend to a Star Wars fan? Right. So you can find me on Twitter uh, at GhostFinder, which is actually Star Wars canon, because there's the GhostFinder fleet. Which is, and so now I'm stuck with it. Um, my website is adamchristopher.me. And I did a book called Made to Kill a few years ago. It's about a robot detective in 1960s Hollywood who's actually a robot assassin, but he doesn't know it because he's only got a 24 hour memory tape. And I always recommend that because, like, it's, it's, it's short, fun retro flavored noir science fiction so definitely check that out if you know if you fancy something that's not star wars that i honestly you sold me right there i'm gonna i'm gonna pick that up that sounds that sounds great so uh, awesome. i'll put links to all of that uh down in the description uh thank you again adam for joining us and telling us a little bit about your process thank you all for watching or listening and may the force be with you <laughs>